Welcome to the Hobby of a Lifestyle podcast, a show that looks at how our passions impact lives and drive career choices. I'm Andy Gray, a former national and world champion kickboxer. During my shows, I'll be talking with athletes, coaches, fans and more as I delve into their world to find out what inspired them on their journey. Welcome to the Hobby of a Lifestyle. Thanks for joining me. This week, I am joined by three-time Paralympian and Tokyo gold medalist, the queen of wheelchair rugby, Kylie Grimes. Let's find out the whole story. Good afternoon, Kylie. Welcome to the Hobby of a Lifestyle. It's lovely to be on. Thank you for having me. Oh, no, thank you very much for coming on the show. I'm, I'm very excited. Not only am I sat with a history setter, but a pioneer of wheelchair rugby as well, which is unbelievable. Congratulations, by the way, on your gold medal. I know it's phenomenal, isn't it? You know what? It still hasn't sunk in yet, but everybody keeps saying it to me and like congratulations and well done and all of that. And I just, you know what? It's not getting boring, and I hope it never does because it's amazing. <laughs> I mean, obviously, listeners won't see this, but Kylie's actually got a medal on around her head at the moment, so you can see it in screenshot. <laughs> <laughs> Kylie, I mean. Obviously, we've said there wheelchair rugby, but how does it feel to be, and we mentioned this just prior to, to recording, to be the first ever female to win a gold medal at the Paralympic Games in para rugby? Yeah, it's absolutely unbelievable. That means more to me than like the medal, um, than the team, than, than what we've managed to achieve. Don't get me wrong, the medal is phenomenal. Um, everything that we've done is incredible. It's an amazing achievement, but... That there for me on a personal level is just so good because, you know, I'm a big advocate for getting women into sport, young girls into the sport, youth, children, everybody. And I'm so passionate about the sport. And so for me to, you know, hold that title now and no one can ever take that away from me. I will always be the. It's phenomenal. It is absolutely phenomenal. So. If we kind of go back to childhood before we get into the, the, the passion that you've got for the sport now, what what did life look like as a child for you, Kylie? You know, you, what what were you interested in? What were the hobbies? Yeah, I was I was a bit of a mad child, a bit gung ho. I was into everything um, from a very very young age of five or six. I used to tell people I was going to be an Olympian. That was all I ever said. Um, I was playing, you know, back at the time I was playing football with, um, you know, my brothers, my cousins, everybody, rugby, um, athletics as well, swimming. I did all sorts of sports. Mum got me into loads, big range of sports when I was a kid. Um, And I was just, you know, very much into that bit of a tomboy, always in football kits and mud, rolling around in mud. That's how I lived in my childhood out in the countryside. So, um, yeah, any mountain I could climb, any tree I could get get up, any sport I could get involved with, that's what I was doing as a child. Was there there any real sport as a child that really hooked you in, which you you enjoyed more than others, which really pulled you and you thought that's, that's something I want to pursue rather than just trying everything like most kids do yeah it was crazy it was after I got to about 10 11 years old I had been riding horses all my life as well and right. um, it was show jumping really I started jumping okay. pony and um, you know it's a it's a bit different for me because I was you know into the rugby and the football so everyone thought oh she'll she'll go and do that she'll, she'll do women's yeah, rugby yeah. or something like that um, but no, I yeah got riding horses, got show jumping and just absolutely fell in love with it. And I love the connection with you and the horse and, and all of that sort of thing. So, yeah, most of my teenage years through school and college, I was um, at school during the week and then riding horses all weekend and every minute that I possibly could. So I think Very good. like if you'd asked me in my teenage years, I'd say I'm going to show jump for Great Britain one day. That'll be that'll be what I want to do as I'm older. Right. OK. And were you competing at quite a high standard then when you were show jumping? 
yeah, fairly high. I was, you know, doing everything I could um, to get up there. It was going to take like quite a long time to get to right to the top. But you got some riders that represent the Olympics who were like in their forties, fifties. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah, I've seen that over this this games just gone, and well, I want to say it was older than that as well. The guy yeah. who won gold medal, I, I, I want to say maybe 60s, maybe late yeah. 50s, 60s, definitely. Um, so talk us through then what, what happened with the show jumping? Because obviously you're talking about all, all these sports, but we've mentioned you, you know, you're a Paralympic gold medalist now. So what was it that what changed the trajectory of your path? Yeah, so basically I was show jumping, going to college, um, school and college. I finished my A-levels in um, the summer of 2006, the July time, and basically we all had a party like we do, teenagers. I was 18 at the time, and um, I had a diving accident at a friend's house, unfortunately, just a freak accident. Um, I don't, like, 100% remember all the whole details. I don't really know yeah. all of it, but I basically, yeah, dislocated my bones in my neck, um, got to hospital, and they were like, yeah, you've got a spinal injury. Um, you know, they say all the usual, you're probably never going to yeah, walk, yeah. You need to operate, you need to sort this out. So I had a 10, 11 hour operation at Stanmore Spinal Unit, which is a massive spinal injury center in the UK. It's a really good one. So they got me up there. They had a free bed for me, which was great. And um, yeah, after the operation, I woke up in intensive care. You're, you're down there for a little while and they like look after you. Yeah, and then yeah. I got up to the ward and then, I, you know, I realized that I probably you know, wasn't going to be able to do the show jumping again or the things that I loved. But instantly, like, I just knew, I knew within myself that no matter what, I still had to play sport. So one yeah, of my yeah. first to the doctor was like, what sport can I play? And he was like, what? What are you on about? He's like, so many people get so down and disappointed that, you know, they're never going to walk again. They're never going to do this. And you'll just ask me what sport you can play. I said, mate, I want to be an Olympian. I still want to. I still want to be a Paralympian, you know. And I, I knew about the Paralympics a little bit because um, yeah, yeah. I'd watched it, you know, in like 2000 and 2004. Um, so I said to him, yeah, tell me what sports I can do. And, and yeah, it kind of went from there, really. It was a bit wow. crazy. I mean, do you think that that mentality was something that helped you combat against dealing with such horrific news? Because that's, at 18 years as well, that is, it's, it's not just... It's not just life changing, is it? It's it's more than that. Yeah, absolutely. Do you know what? I think for me, I look back on it now and I literally just see it as a little bump in the road. That's all I see it as. It's nothing to me anymore. And it means nothing. But you know, if you ask my friends and family back at the time, it was probably the worst thing in the world and it was horrific. Oh, yeah. Of course, it's completely life changing. Um, I think sometimes it's harder for the people around you than it is for yourself. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, my friends and family had to deal with that and they had to get the call to say that I'd broken my neck and, yeah. you know, they had to get to the hospital to see if I was all right. And, you know, when you're the person going through it, I don't think it's quite ever so severe. Well, it wasn't on my, on my, um, like in my case anyway. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it is a big thing, but I think, I don't know. I've just, all my life, I've been passionate about life, about doing well, about, the dreams that I've had for myself. And I think when you have that and you're kind of such a one-track one person and I'm very tunnel vision, you know, yeah, and nothing yeah. nothing was going to get in the way of me wanting to represent my country at the wow. highest level possible. And I think when you have that mentality, you don't, like, everything else just becomes small. Yeah, yeah. So it's, even a wow. life-changing life injury, you know. 
Yeah, I mean, wow, it's absolutely phenomenal. So obviously you're going through the the rehab, the you know, getting yourself back into well, just learning, I suppose, learning life a little bit again, really, because everything's changed hugely. It's from the breast down, is that right? So it's, it's arms that you still have use of and, and obviously head. But that must, yeah. you know, you're saying about being tunnel vision, but did your tunnel vision just go into this rehabilitation? Okay, get get through this, get used to things, get sorted, adjust the life as it's going to be now. And then after that, find a sport, find a club. It was exactly like that. It was very much... Tell me what I need to learn. Show me what I need to do. Um, Get me, you know, doing, I I set myself goals. So I was like, get me through this day. I'm going to set myself a goal. Then this week I'll set myself a goal. I'll attack them. I'll finish the goal. I'll get out of hospital. And then it's, yeah, get as strong as I possibly could, as well as I could. Because obviously having a spinal injury is huge on your body. Um, And it doesn't just take months. It does take years. So the first sort of two to three years, you're very tired. You're very, very tired. Um, the fatigue is phenomenal it's it's uh, like you know I would just get myself dressed or get myself half dressed and then I feel like I needed a four-hour nap Um, so yeah you've got to get through that and you've got to accept that it's going to take time you have to be patient Um, but keep I like kept setting setting myself all these goals all these challenges I I took it as a challenge I was like right go on to the next one tick that one Um, you know and it's the foundation I couldn't be a Paralympian if I hadn't have learned all of that um, yeah. so I needed to do that and then yeah got home got fit and strong and got back and joined a club like you said it's phenomenal I mean if you don't mind talking about it but because I just think that mental health is such a it's on everyone's mind these days I think it's because it's being brought to the forefront and rightly so how did you deal with the down days because I know you're seeing your very tunnel vision and set yourself challenges but even the strongest person in the world is going to have days where it just isn't going right What what was your strategy for combating against that and for dealing with that yeah no I don't mind talking about this at all it's you know sometimes I don't understand myself I don't I don't fully understand myself people say to me um why are you like you are how are you like you are um you know because they try and get me to talk to newly injured guys and give them a little bit of perspective and and all that sort of thing but sometimes I can't help them because I, I actually don't understand I don't know why I never got really down I don't know why I didn't go through a depressive like depression stage yeah. um, a lot of people after big injuries do um and it's you know it's it's nothing to be ashamed of it's a horrific thing to go through but I just kept having in my this thought in my head that I want to represent my country and then the only way to do that is to to get out of here and to set these things so on the days that I was frustrated you know something wasn't going right um or it took me I don't know 20 minutes to put a sock on whereas you normally just do it in two seconds like things like that I just used to sit there and go it's just a bad day tomorrow's a new day do you know what I mean and I'd just kind of tell my mom or tell one of the nurses or just speak to someone and be like today's not going very well it's taking me so long to do everything and I'm I think I'm just tired and I'm just struggling and they'd be like yeah "Yeah, you're but you're doing so well look at the bigger picture and I just kept thinking of that I was like look at the bigger picture I've got a quite nasty c5 six complete spinal cord injury but I'm managing to learn to you know dress myself feed myself shower myself Um, I'm doing all the physio I'm doing all the gym I will get out of here and I will drive again. Yeah. I, I was looking at the bigger picture and I knew that it would be okay. No, it's it's interesting you say that because it sounds like you, you've got to compartmentalise things as well and saying, okay, well, I can focus on what I can do rather than what I cannot do. 
And I like that. My, my father actually, I lost my dad a few years going out there wanting neuron disease, but I remember coming back off a holiday and he, he went back in the house after about 25 minutes. And, and my, my mother said, where have you been? What have you forgot? And he went, I haven't been anywhere. She went, well, what do you mean? He said, I've been sat in the car for 25 minutes. And she said, why? He says, I can't drive anymore. <laughs> and he just compartmentalized it. And he went, I can't do it. I'm not going to worry about it. I'm going to focus on the next thing. And it's just reminded, it's a, it's quite a nice thing to remember, actually. It's lovely. Um, but it sounds like you're very similar. I compartmentalize things. Okay, I can't do that today. Let's focus on what I can do and, and take away the positives, which is, it's phenomenal. Always. I always do that. If, you know, like even if I'm struggling one day to do something, I won't like I'll, I'll go at it a bit because I, I never try. I never give up, but I'll put it to a side. I say, oh, right. Today's not going that way for that. I will do something else. And I'm always like that all the time. And I always have to end my days every day on positives, the positive things that I've done for the day. What's made me feel happy? You know, all stuff like that. And I am. You're right. I'm very good at like putting them in boxes and things like that. Yeah. No, I, I really like that. And it's when you're talking about you can't you can't explain to people why you're like that. I suppose if you look at some of the best football coaches in the world who weren't necessarily good footballers, but because they've had to break things down, they can explain it. Whereas the, the naturally talented footballers who try management and aren't very good at it because they don't know how they did it. They were just good at it. So yeah. it's, it's, a, it's an interesting one. So... You, you know, you've went through the rehabilitation. You've got yourself at a stage now where you're, you're winning, winning in life and you, you've learned to deal with everything you've got. When was it that you started looking at different sports? And was there any other sports you tried before you got to the rugby? Yeah, so while I was still in the hospital at the time, they showed me a few disability sports and what was available to me, basically. Um, you know, they showed me things from archery to table tennis to yeah. swimming to athletics um, and then wheelchair rugby. I knew that with my level of disability, there were certain things I couldn't do, like yeah. wheelchair basketball or um, is not really a good one. Or obviously I wouldn't be riding my horses again, things like that. Yeah. Um, so rather than focusing on the, the sports I couldn't do at all, I was like, right, so I've got the choice of like athletics, rugby. And then I kind of looked at all of them, had a little go. I went to a few taster days and trial days at Stoke Mandeville and a few other places. And then I, I saw wheelchair rugby and I saw all the guys at London wheelchair rugby club playing. And I was like, straight away, that that's the sport, that one. Yeah, it was yeah. brutal. It was savage. It was fast. It was men and women playing together. Yeah, it yeah. was a unique sport that I'd never really seen before. Yeah, um, that many. Yeah, so I was like, that one. And I picked it and that was it. I was hooked. Yeah, I'm not surprised. So first session, that was, you know, you're saying you're hooked before you've even got there. What was that first session like? Yeah, it was amazing. I even think I was talking about this the other day, actually, with someone because I've come such a long way. You know, the first time you get in a chair, you don't realise how weak you, you feel and how much like pushing a chair with your arms around for three hours. Oh, my God. It's agony. It's absolute agony. I can only imagine. <laughs> so, you know, I, I remember looking back and thinking, wow, I used to be so slow and so weak and all the boys used to bully me and bash me around and... And now, yeah, it feels completely different. Obviously, I'm a, a lot faster than I was. I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. obviously more skillful. Rugby is a very, very tactical game. So when you first learn to play, you're very lost. You just see all these people shooting past you all over the place and you feel like you're being left behind all the time. And you're like, what yeah, the yeah. hell is going on? It's such a fast-paced game. Um, no, it was, it was interesting to watch at the games this year when you... And especially when you listen to the commentators, you obviously understand the sport as well. And they're talking about they're going to push this player out wide and they're going to push this player inside. And it was just to, to try and stop them getting over the line, which was, it was really interesting to listen to. 
Yeah, it is like that. It's, you know, there are basic rules to it, but then there's so much else that you have to think yeah. about. You always have to think ahead of the game, um, especially as a defender like I am. You have to constantly think another step before the other team to to get there, you know, for your high point to, to be able to score the goal and help them out and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's very tactical, which is why I also love it. It's, you know, you've got to be strong. You've got to be physically strong, but you've yeah. got to be very mentally switched on as well. I mean, what's it like when you kind of, I, I'm sure you probably get eased into it when you first join, but when you get that first real tackle or someone's bumping into your wheelchair, I mean, that must be a bit of a, a rude awakening thing. Oh my goodness, I'm genuinely playing the game now. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we've got some massive hitters in Britain, but I'll, I'll tell you, one of my first ever memories internationally was Riley Bat, who's one of the best Australians in the world. He came along and he just smacked straight into me and I was like, Wow. Okay, I was like, now, now I know what it's like to be hit by a big gun. Do you know what I mean? Because he was the most powerful player in the world at the time. This was like 2012 or 2013. Right. And I just remember being like, okay, now I know. Because, yeah, that he felt like a train had just gone through me. <laughs> I can Im- uh, yeah, I can, I can only imagine it must be, you know, it doesn't get called murder ball for nothing, does it? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, talking about international there, how quick did you kind of rise through the ranks? You know, that's some achievement to be an international level player. And you'd said it was something you'd always dreamed of, but how hard was it to get there? Yeah, so when I got out of hospital and I'd been home, obviously, I joined London Wiltshire Rugby Club in 2000, end of 2008, early 2009. Um, basically, I trained, I had to go away for a little bit because I had a dodgy hip, but then I came back. Um, so I kind of, from 2009 onwards, I trained properly. Um, and then 2011, I got the call to say, do you want to come and trial for the GB team? So I'd only been playing about 18 months um, when I got the call. Um, it was early 2011. And I was like, yeah, yeah, let's, I was really scared. I was a bit like, ah, they're going to throw me into the deep end. But, you know, I was just like, yeah, go for it. Um, so the head coach called me up and they had a weekend where they were playing in Leeds against Canada. Canada had come over to play the GB team um, over for six games. So I basically drove all the way up there. And that was the longest journey I'd ever done in my car as well. Wasn't it four and a half right. hours? Um, and I thought, yeah, I've got this. I can do it. And I just kept telling myself the whole time, you've wanted this for so long. Just do it. Just go for it. Yeah. You know, Because I was a bit nervous. I was still quite young as well. And um, hadn't, you know, four years after my injury or three yeah. and a half, four years. It's not that long. Um, So, yeah, I went for it and um, I played some games against Canada. And honestly, that was the moment which really got me hooked because I saw a girl called Erica and a girl called Miranda who represented Canada. And I'd not really seen... I had some women in Britain. We had Josie Pearson and a couple of others. But I saw these two girls playing like internationally for their country. And I was just like, wow, like absolutely starstruck, you know. And I was like, these two women are like powerful, strong women and they're doing it like, you know, for themselves. Yeah, yeah. And it was that moment onwards that I was like, this is like unbelievable and I've definitely got to do this. So yeah, I played Canada with GB and the coach was impressed and he, you know, he liked what I did. So straight after that, he invited me to be on the long wow. squad for the GB team. That's so, unbelievable, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, what what's a, what's a reaction like from your family back home when all of a sudden you're going, you know, they've seen the journey that you've been through 
And and as you said, it maybe it's harder for them at some time as well. So they're probably within three or four years, probably still trying to deal with it themselves. And then all of a sudden, actually, our daughter, our our family member is now a member of the the England GB squad for for para rugby. Yeah, no, I, you know, I, at the time, my stepdad had been following my journey. He's a ex Harlequins player, rugby player, and he, um, wow. you know, him and I do a lot. We we go to Harlequins all the time, and we watch England rugby. And he was so impressed. He was like, "This is amazing." You know, all my uncles were like, "Yeah, get playing rugby. It's incredible." And um, yeah, I think they're all just really proud. I, you know, I think you know they'd seen the accident. That's in everything I've been through. That's in the journey. And I think just relief and proud my mum my mum knew that I was never going to just sit at home she knew I wasn't somebody that could do that you know she knew I was going to go on to do great things but um yeah I think they all just felt immense pride and ever since they've followed me everywhere and a lot of them (laughs) yeah well why not as well I would as well does it make it all the more special knowing that you've broken into what comes across probably a more male-dominated sport as well I mean the fact that the fact well the fact that you're the first and only lady to ever win a gold medal at the Parliament Games you're the only female in the GB squad is you know does that make it even more special to break into that team? Yeah, hundred percent. I love it. I love being one of the only females. I want more women to join. Of course, yeah. I do. But to be part of that and to be a strong female holding you know holding my own, being a member yeah, of yeah. that. team, the boys don't treat me any differently. They, no. you know, I'm just a member of the team like everybody else. And that's exactly yeah. how it should be. Um, yeah, yeah. But it's incredible. Honestly, I, people talk to me about it and they're like, but are you not scared? It's so male dominated. I'm like, no, the men, they're, they're wimps. They're more wimpy than I am. <laughs> you know, I call them princess, half of them. Uh, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Oh, it's, it's, it's probably right. Um, <laughs> so breaking into the international international scene then what was the progression from there yeah so 2011 I joined and I was like you know had my place cemented in the team the long squad basically and then you all get selected for every major every year down to 12 the long squad's normally about 16 people Um, you get selected down to 12 for each game so um, 2011 that year it was in the August we had the European Championships which was the qualification for London 2012 um, and I made that team and I got on there as my first European Championships ever, obviously. Wow. And um, my first one in the GB shirt, which was amazing. And yeah. we actually finished second at those Europeans, which was wow. gutting because we should have got the gold. But we finished second. But that cemented our place for London 2012 anyway. Yeah, yeah. We were, b- because we were the host nations for London, I think we had automatic qualification, to be yeah. honest. Anyway, I think every host nation does. Um, but yeah. So then we went on to London 2012 and obviously we had a home games, which is incredible. Amazing. Yeah. I can, like, yeah. I've spoken to a few, few people who, who obviously Britons who were at the home games and they said it was just, it, it was just a different, a different level because it was a home games. You had home support. I mean, I was talking to Natasha, Natasha Jonas about the atmosphere that her and Katie Taylor created when they, when they had that first boxing fight and she's just saying it was, well, I think it was it still holds a world record for the noise created, which yeah. is you know phenomenal. Yeah, I bet. Um, it's the same with our sport. For the first time ever, we had fourteen thousand people watching us. Um, you know, so I think that's what really got British people hooked onto many yeah, sports, yeah. but wheelchair rugby as well, because they'd never seen yeah. it before. No, um, I think we said just prior, didn't I, that 
that was probably about the time when it, it really came, was brought to my attention. And, you know, and then it seemed to be on every advert for about a year afterwards, didn't it? And there was, yeah. so it, it was all over. And I think there was a documentary on Channel 4 about it. And it was, it was phenomenal. Yeah, exactly. You know, and so I will never, do you know what? I will never forget London 2012, obviously, but I think it's still, even now, even after winning the gold, I think it still is my favourite games to date. Um, right. It was just incredible. It was. Yeah. London put on a great show. The village was amazing. Um, you know, everything about it, having 14,000 people, having all my friends and family there, um, everything. It was just incredible. So that was a game I definitely won't forget ever. Um, and then obviously we all carried on and our journey kept going with rugby. Um, we finished fifth at London 2012. We were hoping to, you know, potentially try and get for the bronze. But at the same yeah. time, we had a very young squad back then. We had some, some of the guys who were only 17, 18. Yeah. Um, we had a very young team, so we kind of um, knew that we'd, you know, we were never going to make the final, but we tried to do the best we could. Um, yeah, fifth course. was all right. I look back on it now, and I'm proud. You know, I'm proud of what that team did back then. Um, I mean, some people just, as you said, some people just dream about going to these games. Never mind getting the fifth place finish. I know you're always you should be disappointed because you didn't get a medal, and I totally agree with that. But still, yeah. some people are kind of well live off going to the Olympics if that makes sense you know and and, yeah. and I suppose rightly so they've worked they've put in the, they've put in the work to get there and, and they've been able to represent GB they've got to go to opening ceremonies ending ceremonies and, and be part of the, yeah. the the biggest sporting event in the world exactly that and you know what when you at the time you're so disappointed athletes want to win all the time we're competitive yeah. beings we, we wouldn't be there if we're not um right but at the same time, you look back on it and you've got to be proud because it is an elite squad to be in a Paralympian. Yeah. There's not many people that can say I'm an Olympian or a Paralympian. Yeah. It's a very, very tight group of people. So, yeah, yeah. you know, it's impressive. So I'll always be proud. Yeah, really proud of London and the games and the team. Um, but then after that, we went on to um, another Europeans the following year. Um, and then I actually decided in 2014 to leave rugby for a little while. Right. Um, I actually went to British Athletics. I did a talent transfer on the funding program and um, went across to athletics. And yeah, I wanted to try out doing individual sport for a little while just to keep challenging myself, really. Yeah, keep of course. There wasn't really much place for me on the squad either at the time. We lost a right. couple of the big guys um, after London. Aaron Fitz had to go off and do some work and look after his family and other things that he needed to do. And the coaching system all changed. We had a massive like change within the team, you know. Right. Um, so it just felt like the right time for me to go okay. and do something else and explore something else. So yeah, in 2014, I did that. And 2015, I got selected for Doha, which was the first um, world championships for British athletics. And I was doing two throwing events, club and discus, which are to disability sports and um yeah, yeah. it was amazing uh, I loved that experience as well I was out there throwing against women that had thrown for you know 10 12 years and I managed to get fourth I was so wow. so happy yeah. <laughs> I'm not yeah I'm not surprised I'm not surprised did the, did the transferable skills from the rugby really help with that or was it did you have to just basically learn <laughs> learn again I kind of had to learn again but you know what the hardest part I had to get bigger so I had to put on a lot of weight right <laughs> um, and I had to get really, really strong because a lot of um, throwing events, you know, it's mostly like gym-based work. You're lifting yeah, weights yeah. more. The power ratio has got to be, you know, to your weight and stuff. So I was like, wow, I've got to actually eat more. I've got to train more in the gym. But I, do you know what? I loved that. 
I really did right. enjoy the five, six sessions a week in the gym lifting weights with my strength coach. I would have just enjoyed eating more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not the yeah. training, just the eating more. Yeah, that was quite good too, to be honest, because I, <laughs> yeah, I didn't mind. I didn't mind eating a bit more as well. Uh, so, I mean, you're coming fourth place at World Championships. How long did mm. you pursue that discipline for? So I joined in 2015 and then I left again in 2018. So um, I did it for about three and a half years-ish, yeah. um, which was amazing. I got to go to a World Championship or two World Championships. I did Rio 2016 with the British Athletics team too. So so I got selected for my second Paralympics with the, with the team. Tremendous. Which was amazing as well because, you know, I'd only been on the squad a couple of years or under that again. And I, you know, I've been selected for my second games. I was like, how have I done this? At the time I was like, how have I, not many people get there doing one sport, let alone two sports. And and uh, each yeah. sport I'd only been playing for a year or 18 months. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, I, I was and do you find that the Paralympics are, are similar? I know I've heard Olymp- Olympians say this, uh, even when you go to world championships in your discipline, you go to a, a games an Olympic or Paralympic games and people you've never seen before come out the woodwork win a medal and then you never see them again yeah that happens a lot because I suppose uh, you've been the fourth place I'm I'm sure when you got the Paralympics you were thinking okay I'm going to push on now and potentially get a bronze a silver maybe a gold but you know yeah and I thought I was I thought I was going to challenge for silver or bronze at Rio and um, that actually happened in our event I was absolutely gutted because I was on target for it. I was third in the sitting third in the world on the rankings. Yeah, yeah. I thought I've got this. You know, I've got a medal here. Um, I've just got to really push on and make sure I beat the American Rachel. Um, yeah, yeah. And and I did. I did that that day, and I beat her. And I threw her over the Rachel, and I was like, yes, I can do this. And then right at the end, two a blooming Ukrainian and a Chinese just came out of nowhere. I was yeah. like, who are you? <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen you before. It ha- yeah, it seems to happen from the Olympic and Paralympic cycle, doesn't it? Just out of nowhere. Yeah, it does. It's really strange. <laughs> they, and I don't know how they do it either because they just kind of hide away. Get, yeah, yeah. get a throw in somewhere because you've got to get qualified. You've got to get, yeah, you know, yeah. some. they do it without people knowing or noticing, mm-hmm. um, you know, and they get themselves out there. And then, yeah, they take all the medals. I'm like, where did you come from? <laughs> <laughs> and then you never see them again. No, yeah. Well, the Ukrainian girl is still there. She was at... She's now like cemented her place there in the throws yeah, and she's yeah. out in Tokyo. But um, but yeah, that does happen a lot. It's very weird. <laughs> so why in 2018 then did you decide to switch back? What what was the driving force behind going, okay, I've I've done well with this now. I want to go back and pursue wheelchair rugby. So there's a few reasons really, but like we talk about with people just coming out of nowhere, you know, the, the whole classification system in athletics is a little bit like it's so open it's so varied yeah, yeah um for disability sport and some of the girls i was competing with like they came from power canoe i couldn't even oh sit in a boat without toppling out because i'm paralyzed you know from the chest out yeah, yeah and i'm like hang on a minute i can't compete with these girls that have got yeah, yeah. trunk like really good arms yeah, yeah. um so i just had a really good hard look about it and i was like i'm training six days a week day in day out and i'm never gonna meddle it's just not yeah. going to happen just because of my function. And sometimes it just gets really um, like tiring and you just, all the effort you put in um, for it just not to be a level playing field is really tough. Um, yeah, yeah. So I decided to basically look to go back to rugby. And in 2018, the boys had the world championships in Australia. 
And I remember just thinking, oh, boys, like, is there space? I said to some of the guys, because I still played with them at my club level, I never gave up rugby completely. I always played yeah. for London. Um, and I said to them, is there space for me, do you reckon, to come back? Like, can I come and trial? And they were like, yeah, we want you to come back because we've got these new lines now and there's a place for you to fit here and here. And I was like, oh, my God, this could be amazing. Like, I, ju- I just felt ready. Um, so, yeah, after their World Championships, um, later that year in 2018, I got a call off the coach. And obviously the boys had put a word in and said that I wanted yeah, to come yeah. back. Um, and yeah, I got a call and he was like, do you want to come and trial? We've got a couple of camps. We can put you in through the trials. They always do. At the end of every year, they do like November, December, they do like trials again to put people in right. the squad for next year. Um, so yeah, went and had a trial and been there ever since. Been back wow. with the boys. And then back back to the Paralympic Games again for a third time. Yes, Third time, lucky number There's three. There's a common trend here. You just tend to do things for a year and a half, two years, and then switch it and still end up with a Paralympic Games. I'm just wondering what you're going to do for 2024. I know. Everyone keeps saying this to me. They're like, you've only got three years this time. You've only got three years. You haven't got long. Um, yeah, don't, no. don't leave. Don't leave. No. To be honest, I'm, I'm 33 now. I'll be 34 in December this year. Um, my athletic career isn't hasn't got that long left. Um, I've been playing like elite-level sports for 13 years. And my body's tired. I, I must admit, I hit 30 and I'm like, what is happening? The recovery takes longer. You feel tired, even more tired. The mornings, getting up in the morning is horrible. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm like, this wasn't going to happen. When I was 20, 22, 23, I could push around all day long. Like, yeah, yeah. Oh. So, yeah. <laughs> so let's things. talk about this, this games anyway, the Paralympic games that have just been... Again, you, as you said, it's been a sh- kind of a just a bedding in period for you getting back into it. And then all of a sudden you've been whisked off to the Paralympic Games. Yeah. And obviously with all the COVID that's been going on as well, it was an even shorter journey, really. Yeah, unbelievable. You know, we went to the European Championships in 2019. We got the gold medal there. We're now three times European gold medalists. Yeah, yeah. We've actually got the Guinness Book of Records for winning it seven times in total, Great Britain, wow. which is the most in Europe out of any European team. And we How knew many of those that, have you got in the house then? Uh, I've Out got those two, seven. Got two European medals and um, and my Paralympic medal now, like at elite level. But um, yeah, like basically, we knew that we'd qualified then, and we knew that the journey to after COVID hit at the beginning of last year, we knew that this journey was going to be a tough, a tough one, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we just didn't really know what to expect, and wow, it was hard. Like you know, when everything closed and all the gyms shut and and everything, we were training on the streets. We were pushing our rugby chairs out on the streets just to keep pushing. You know, I said to those boys, I don't mind what anyone else in the world is doing right now. We can't focus on that, but we need to be training. It doesn't matter if the gyms have got to close, if everywhere's got to close. I said, we can still push on tarmac. We can still push on roads. We can still do fitness, ball skills. I had my my nephew's um, basketball hoop out in my garden and I was like in my rugby chair and like just aiming for it to pretend I was like throwing at people and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Four hoops because obviously we don't do that um but just yeah aiming at it practicing all my passes my chest passes my pump passes my one-handed passes I was just out there for hours and I was like if we're going to win and we want to be the best we've got to be doing this no matter what so yeah the journey was hard to the games um and it was different and the rules were horrible and not being able to be a team and having to train in masks and having testing done all the time and everything it wasn't you know it wasn't easy and it wasn't fun but we only had one goal in mind and that was to get there and get into that final and win a medal so 
I mean, I know that you've won now, so it's probably easy to look back and go, yeah, I mean, you've already talked about the 2012 being your favourite games, but it'd probably mm. be easy to look and go, yeah, I've got a Paralympic gold medal from Tokyo. That's kind of the best games. But did you enjoy that games as much? If you, you know, take out, take out the medal, did you enjoy mm. those games as much as the other games that you've been to because of everything that's went on? Yeah, this is interesting because I said to the guys before we left, I said, I hope this games is not horrific. I hope we're not in isolation. I hope we're not locked up. You know, I still would like to see a bit of the country. I still want to meet yeah. the Japanese people, um, you know, everything. And do you know what? Japan did an amazing job. Absolutely yeah. incredible. The village was spectacular. It was clean. The food was great. The food hall was good. We still got to talk to the other countries in the food hall. We all had like um, glass protectors around us when we were eating. Yeah. Uh, but after the games and stuff, we could all have our masks on, but we could all chat to you know, and be a bit distanced and that sort of yeah, thing. We yeah. could sit right next to people, but you could still see all your friends from around the world. You could still say hi. Um, you know, we were in the apartments and we had the boys, like I had all the guys there, so we were playing games and doing things. And then we still got on the coaches to go off to the venues and train and, and compete. And we still got to meet all the Japanese helpers and volunteers. And yeah, so yes, we didn't have friends and family there. Yes, we didn't have the big crowds, but... Yeah. Considering the circumstances, it was absolutely incredible. It was still a really good games. Do you think that that's phenomenal? But do you think that maybe the fact that you not that you were isolated, but the fact that you were a little bit isolated from other countries and maybe friends that you you may have spoke to had you been allowed to actually help the camaraderie of the team because you had to be together as well. Because talking to individual people, it maybe doesn't doesn't count for them as much. But as a team sport, that cohesive unit has to be strong and I suppose that the isolation that you may be being put in and the fact that you've had to stick together has probably helped that team camaraderie I think so because before the games obviously we were all really careful um, with friends yeah, and family yeah. going out we all said no to parties to everything um, we stuck as a team we stuck as a team in, U- in the UK we did that from the minute we got into our holding camp to getting on the plane to being in Tokyo um, so basically, for the last 18 months, I've seen more of the boys than I've ever seen them. Um, and I, yeah, I truly believe it, it helped. I truly do. We, we got to those games and we were close. Every single one of my teammates, I would go for a drink with, coffee with, be yeah. a friend. You know, sometimes team sports, you have, you can be a bit clicky and you can get yeah, like a little group that you're really good friends with and not so much with other people. But we're not like that. All 12 of us are good friends. And I think that really, really helped. And it helped with the chemistry. We wanted to work for each other. None, no one wanted to slack. Do you know what I mean? We gave yeah. every, every single one of us gave 100%. No, it's phenomenal. And talk about, you know, that semi-final game when you win. Mm-hmm. And you know you're going to the final of the Olympic Games. Yeah. What, what's the atmosphere like in camp? And what are the conversations like when you're talking about you know as you said you're all competitors you're not there to get a silver medal you're there to get a gold medal what are those conversations like is there anybody who's the real driving force behind that saying look at Kylie you are you the driving force in like lads now it's time to you know let's get on with it it's me a lot of the time it's me and it's the captain Chris so basically when we won that game against Japan and we you know we knocked the host nation out we were just absolutely buzzing of course we were you know um I'm quite a sensitive person and I actually was sad for Japan. Um, you know, as much as I want to win and I still do now and I'd beat them again tomorrow, but I just, I looked over and, you know, it was their home games. They were all crying. It was a little bit sad. Do you know what I mean? 
Um, but I went to them and I just said to them, all, oh, you go and get that bronze medal and you, you yeah. do that. Um, and they did. And do you know what? The Japanese were so amazing. They came to our changing room just after we'd beaten them. And we were all cheering and screaming and we had a bit of a party. They could obviously hear us, but they opened the door and they just came in and they said, congratulations, you played the better team one wow. and you played amazing. Now, they are the most humble people I've ever met. Yeah, that's lovely. They are so incredibly, like, amazing, even when they've been beaten. And so we all took that and we were like, look how amazing they've been. And, like, you know, yeah. what, what people, they're just unreal. And, um, yeah, we were all celebrating in the in the change room we were like we are going home with a medal we've made history you know yeah. and we basically got it all out of our systems we had a bit of a party together you know we were like cheering like singing songs we had a great time um and then we went away and we did our little like team debrief and we basically then got serious and we said look come on now we've got a medal we've done everything we need to do we've made history we've done everything that uk sport everything else that, you know that everybody wants of us we've made yeah. that final we're going home with a medal but then I, you know, I had a talk with all of them and I was like, look, at the end of the day, boys, if we take that silver medal, we're, we're the losers. I said, yeah, we're yeah. going home in the final being the losers. You, you lose that game if you're going home with silver. Yeah, yeah. I, like, I don't want that. I was like, I know none of you do. I was like, we came here to win. So I was like, no matter what, we're going to give everything and we're going to get that gold medal. And it literally was, the atmosphere just went switch and all of us yeah, were yeah. just focused, ready determined we, we looked back on VA we were like where we made mistakes through the tournament we were like we're not doing that again we're, yeah. we're going to switch here we're going to switch it up there we're going to stay focused the guys on the bench which was me and everyone says in the final they could hear me the whole time which was which is exactly what I wanted because <gasps> yeah. you know the communication need to be on needed to be on point from the bench and I said to them I was like look if I'm not playing because USA doesn't really match up with my lines yeah, I was yeah. like if I'm not playing I'll be on that bench. You'll all hear me. I'll be giving instruction, cheering you on, like everything. But I said, I'm going to be a fifth man. I said, because if you guys, the four of you that are on court right now, said, if I'm loud and I'm that fifth man that you need, I was like, we're going to beat America. We'll, 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 you know, we'll be playing five against four. So that's basically what we did. And I just said to the boys, it's gold. And then we had a lovely chat from the captain, Chris. Um, and Gav and all of them and yeah the boys were focused and ready for that final and what was it like then when you realised you, you beat the US and you're now a Paralympic champion I knew from about a minute and a half out from the whistle that we'd got it because there was no way they could get four goals back on us do you know what I mean yeah yeah I was so excited and the other guys I was sat with I was like <laughs> I kept like squeaking and squealing and they were going hold it in hold it in like <laughs> You know, it's not over till the whistle's blown. We yeah, know that. Um, so I was trying to hold it in, but I was already starting to cry. I was like, oh no, just hold it together. A few more minutes. And then they kept making these little errors. So it was like the, the clock would stop and it's like 45 seconds to go. Then the ball would go out of play. 30 seconds to go. I'm like, man, you're killing me now. Can you just run the clock down? Yeah, yeah. Like, stop it now, you know? Um, and then, yeah, but when the final whistle went, honestly, I just burst into tears we all just got off the bench, went and hugged everybody, cheering, screaming. We could not believe it. It was like so many emotions in one go. It was like sheer relief that we'd done it. Not just any medal, but the gold medal. Yeah, it yeah. was years of hard work. It was um, excitement, you know, adrenaline, everything. We were, It was so many emotions. But to even see the boys get a bit teary and cry and, you know, show how much it means to all of them. And yeah, yeah. to do it as well like with us 12 as a group because of how close we'd got and just to do it with those 11 men was, was unbelievable. So, so good. 
I mean, how how has life changed since you came back from those games? It's been crazy. It's been absolutely crazy. We literally got off the plane and it was straight into the last leg studio. Yeah, yeah. Straight into BBC Breakfast and straight up to Manchester, back down to Liverpool. Radio interviews here. And I was just like, wow, like this is amazing. I was still jet lagged about 10 days later because I was still like here, there and everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you know what? I said to myself, I'm going to enjoy every single minute because you never right, know. So- if you'll get this high again and also just we all deserve it a lot of the, the work that we've put in I was like every one of you boys deserve this yeah, right yeah. now um and yeah so I just enjoyed it and enjoyed the ride every bit of filming I've done any anything that's come come our way basically and yeah it's been just over a month since we've been home and um it's still not quite calmed down but I don't really want it, it to and I, I still hasn't sunk in either but I don't want it to either because I'm enjoying it all and I can imagine I mean Moving forward, what are the plans? And is it is there another Paralympic cycle in you? Is it 2024 the goal? Or is it, you know, because we, we know you like to flit in between sports, so you'll probably be in athletics doing, you know, <laughs> cycling or... Yeah. <laughs> the hand cycling. Hand cycling, yeah. No, no. To be honest, I want to end my career at rugby. I want to end my, my career in a team sport. Um, so I think I'm going to do three more years. That's that's the long-term goal. I'm going to take each yeah. year as it comes because my body yeah, is... Um but yeah, my goal now is to next year we've got big year because we've got Europeans and a world championships because okay. the Euros was meant to be this year, so it's been moved back. Um, so we need to keep going on this winning streak, you know. We need to get the Europeans, we need to win again. And we've never ever, like we had before the Paralympics, we've never had a world championship medal. So we need to go and get one. I was just gonna say, is the world championships a medal like you you really want now to go with the set? Hundred percent. We don't have one, so we need one of those. We need to get gold, to gold surely must be the standard now that you're Paralympic champions. Exactly. You know, you can't go for any less. We've got to make that final and we've got to win that gold again. So, so yeah, that's going to be a big aim of ours next year. Harder now because you've got the target on your back as Paralympic champions. Yeah, exactly. I think everyone's going to be gunning for us next year, aren't they? But do you know what? Let's go with it. And we've got to have all the confidence now that we've done it at the Paralympics. We've beaten all the best eight teams in the world and we'll do it again next year and we'll do it again. And then we'll do it again in Paris and we'll, and then I can end my career a double gold medalist and some oh, yeah, of the boys. Which would be phenomenal. Yes. So I'll, I ask every Paralympian, every Olympian this, would you rather be a world champion or a Paralympic champion? Paralympic champion. It's the best in right. the world. Okay. That's, that's all I want to know. Yeah. It's just the top. You can't get any bigger than that. Yeah. I know. I just thought I would ask. Thought <laughs> I would ask. No, don't get me wrong. Like world championships is amazing, but yeah, you can't beat a Paralympic game. No, it's it's, it's the pinnacle. It's special. Yeah. Yeah. And then it happens every four years as well, doesn't it? Which makes it even more. And you get to keep your title longer if you're Paralympic champion. Yes, you do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what would be your one piece of advice that you would give to somebody then, whether it's someone who's maybe in a similar position to yourself or, or just life in general? Just go for it. You know, I, I get asked this a lot as well by what, what would you say to young girls joining the sport or anything really? And just go for it and enjoy every minute. Enjoy what you do. Just it, honestly, it's so important. I, I've said from a very young age that I wanted to be Olympian, now Paralympian, and purely because I love sport. I love yeah. what I do. I love representing my country. And you've just got to do in life what you love and what you enjoy. If you're not enjoying it and you're not loving what you're doing, what's the point? What's the point in any of it? So just enjoy everything you do. If you're not happy, if you're not enjoying it, find what you love and do it. Just do it. Life's too short. Amazing advice, amazing advice. Moving forward, after after you hang up, you know, once you retire from the game, 
what what what's the aspirations after? Because just listening to you talk, you sound very passionate. Almost from the coaching point of view, it sounds like you you go down that route. You talk quite passionately about maybe it's the way that the 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 playing field aren't always quite level in some of the classifications for disability sport. Is it something you'd like to go down that route and looking at how you could address that? Yeah, I think I'll always be a big advocate of disability sport in general. Um, if ever in the future I could get on some panels, you know, there's there's certain panels within disability sport, um, like commissions and all sorts of places around the world. Yeah, yeah. And I wouldn't mind doing things like that. But um, no, definitely for the future, I'm, you know, I've started doing a lot of talks, um, speaking gigs. I'd like to I could write a book. That's where I'm yeah. heading, heading soon with my wow. life. It's been fascinating. And yeah, so anything like that, really. Um, and then moving forward, potentially I could coach wheelchair rugby in the future. I wouldn't say no to that. Um, you know, we don't really have many female coaches at all. So that would be pretty incredible if I could go down that route, you know. Yeah. Uh, imagine being the first British female coach at a Paralympic Games to win a medal. That would be amazing too, eh? That would be yeah. another one to put in the history books. Just, a, just yeah. another one to put in your book. You might, you might have to write a section, a, a sec, second series of your book. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, who knows? Yes, I, but I would love to do um, anything like that, really. And even presenting, get into a bit of TV, stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. I love doing all that work. It's really good. Well, very good, very good. Well, Kylie, thank you so much for your time today and for coming on Hobby of a Lifestyle. It's been an absolute pleasure to learn your story. No worries, I've really enjoyed it, like telling oh, you good. about my journey and what I've been doing. It's been great fun. Thanks for having me. I've absolutely loved hearing it. I loved it. Thank you for listening to another episode of Hobby of a Lifestyle. Stay safe, stay well, and we'll see you next time.